Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Zephaniah. I'm going to read briefly from the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3. Zephaniah, chapter 3. Slightly less well-known book, one of the minor prophets. It's uh, toward the end there of the Old Testament. But like so many of the minor prophets, it's a rich little book. And I'm going to read just the final verses of the book. Zephaniah chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 through 20. Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they are put to shame. At that time... I will bring you back. Even at that time I will gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Amen. Through the Holy Spirit, Zephaniah is addressing the church when they are on the edge of fierce judgment, when God is going to bring them into devastation and exile. And Zephaniah offers them at the very end of his message this comfort that it is not the end of the story. That God will indeed revive them, bring them back, and restore their fortunes. And so Zephaniah leaves them, as it were, with this final command. Sing. Shout. Rejoice and be glad with all your heart. A full-throated, wholehearted, enthusiastic praise of God. Can you imagine a call to worship on the final Sunday that your church is going together forever? And being told, celebrate. This is what Zephaniah does. Rejoice in the shadow of the valley of death. Why? What possible fountain and source of joy could outlast the exile, the judgment that is coming? Verse 17, he will rejoice over you. There is in God a joy, a gladness that visits us at all times, highs and lows. Friends, if we think of the joy of the Lord preeminently and predominantly as our joy that we feel for Him, it is no surprise that we wax and wane. 
But when we think of joy as something He possesses and gives, then we'll find the true joy that eclipses and outlasts every circumstance. With that in mind, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read just briefly from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. As some of you have rightly noted, this is neither from our series, the book of Acts, nor from our Psalms of the month. This is a total one-off sermon. About three weeks ago, I was called up by the powers that be in Synod and said, will you preach on the fruit of the Spirit, joy at Synod? You have ten minutes. I reminded them of Ben Franklin's line. I'll need a month to prepare. They had given me two weeks. So here is the 10-minute, I'm kidding, I bloated it to like 60 minutes. Here is the, the sermon that I preached this last Tuesday in a far more fulsome manner. This is Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, reading down through verse 26. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. Here again, the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen and amen. I want us to focus on this phrase in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. When I see that little word, joy, those three little letters, joy, I remember my upbringing in evangelicalism, which taught me to sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. There's at least like one of you that gets that reference, right? Where? Exactly. Down in my heart. Where? But it is interesting to me that in Galatians 5.22, the song seems to be off the mark. And I should not be singing of how I have joy down in my heart, but the Holy Spirit. According to Galatians 5.22, it is the Holy Spirit who is down in my heart, and He is bringing up and out from my heart joy. You see, the Spirit is the root. Joy is the fruit. It seems that according to Paul in Galatians 5.22, it is when the Spirit is within that joy comes out. This is the truth for us this morning. That the Spirit of Jesus gives us joy. Or to turn it on you, Jesus' Spirit gives you joy. And so, my friends, rejoice. Rejoice with great joy. Now, let's think about this phrase for a moment. And I want to begin at the end of the line. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. We have to talk about our definition of joy because there are so many myths and misnomers associated with joy. When we survey the use of joy in the scriptures, something, one particular theme, becomes increasingly and abundantly clear. Joy is suspicious 
of silence. In over 300 uses of joy in the Old Testament, the vast majority of them are accompanied by the command, shout or say. Joy is loud. Joy speaks. Joy is expressive. It is a feeling of extreme happiness that cannot be tamed nor contained. Joy is an outward-facing feeling, an emotion that demands expression, that defies our dignity, that eclipses ourself. Joy is that sensation of indulgence, that all is well and all is good and I want the world to know it. It's not hard to look around in our lives and to see very clearly what joy looks like. Joy is saying, here's my diamond ring. Everyone has to see it before you leave the room. Here is my baby. Everyone has to see her before we leave the room. This is joy. It is this full-hearted, full-throated devotion to an object that we consider superior to ourselves. There is, I know, we speak in our society of a joy. Quiet joy, a contented joy, a peaceable joy. And let me tell you, as an introvert, I'm very partial to that joy. I don't like being up here exposing all my emotions to you. But that's not the joy we find in the Bible. Again and again and again, the joy we see in Scripture dances, sings, shouts, dresses up in bright colors. It is something to be seen, something to be held. Something to delight in. This is joy. But it is a joy that we cannot manufacture or fabricate. It is not something you pick up at Ikea and assemble. Joy is something that must grow. In verse 22, Paul says that joy is a fruit. And you cannot force fruit. It must grow. There is a natural or organic process by which Fruit arrives. You do not one day sit in your backyard, look out and say, I want apples. I'm going to plant an apple tree. It's years in the making. Years in the growing. Joy is a fruit for which we must wait. Joy is a fruit for which we must cultivate the soil of our hearts and attend to this tender plant growing up within us. It is something that we must be attentive to and working for. Joy is something that we must find in the Spirit. Joy is this great outward emotion, this expressive feeling rooted in something that grows, that is organic. We are so tempted as humans to go to the manufacturing plants of this world, whether it's the ones that run on internet or the ones that run on physical pleasure or the ones that run on the thoughts of the mind and we seek joy in all these unsatisfying earthly ambitions. How many humans binge on food, binge on alcohol, binge on internet, binge on pleasure, comfort, ease, only to find that the vast consumption of goods will never satisfy the soul? How many of us swing to the other extreme and give ourselves to an aesthetic aesthetic athleticism in which we devote to a rigorous beating of the body, bringing it into submission, 
in which we turn our attentions to the taming of our muscles and our sinews until we have that fine and glorious physique, only to find that this too does not satisfy. How many of us cram our brains with every ounce of data, searching every blog, listening to every podcast, reading every book, devouring every source of information, only to find, as Solomon said, it is much weariness to the flesh. My friends, we look to all these wrong sources, thinking we can discover joy, thinking we can manufacture joy, but it is not so. Joy is a fruit, something that must flower, something that must blossom and grow within us, something that must have a root. This is how things grow. They have a root. And the root of joy is the Spirit. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is not something you can seek, not something you can find, not something you can create or craft. Joy is something that will come when you have surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Joy is something the Holy Spirit will grow up, raise up in your heart and in your life when you have become His and have surrendered your desires and ambition to Him. It is that self-seeking ambition that will prove antithetical to your joy. Instead, my friends, look to the Spirit and not to the joy. And let joy come from the Spirit. This idea that the fruit of the Spirit is joy flows out of Paul's understanding of the Scriptures, the Old Testament that we have read, because Paul is dreaming of all those texts through the Spirit in which he sees joy. Do you know what brings joy throughout the Old Testament? Victory in battle, a good harvest. The building of the temple, coming up out of Egypt, the return from Babylon, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the wall. There are these constant experiences of God's goodness in which we find the fullness of joy. You see, when we as the children of God begin to understand our daily doses of goodness as God's little tokens of love, we can have joy. Friends, do you not see the fact that your eyes snapped open this morning is because Jesus loves you? Do you not see that your presence in these pews is a sign of his tremendous love for you? We deprive ourselves of joy by wandering through life so ignorantly detached from the constant flood of faithfulness that is coming upon us. His mercies, which are new every morning, we sit ignorant of. This joy that we would wish to have in our hearts, this joy that grows up in us, does not come by laboring for the joy. It comes by resting in the provision of our Heavenly Father. This Spirit who testifies to us, you are children of God. The Spirit who testifies to you, your Father knows your needs. Your Father can clothe you, feed you, care for you. Friends, we live in a little world where we're so often tossed this way and that by worry and care and fear and doubt and what does my future hold? And we find no joy. 
Because joy is rooted in the surrender to the sovereignty of the Spirit. The release of control of life and life's goals and ambitions. When we lay down our lives and take up our cross and say, it's my Father's business, there we will find joy. This is a hard thing to do. I'm not simply telling you that because I know your life. I'm telling you that because you know my life. And you know it is a hard thing to do. To aim for a joy that is greater than achievement, a greater than success, a joy that is rooted in the knowledge of a father's love and care, even though it doesn't make sense, even though what you are experiencing seems to be the exact opposite of love. Yet you, by faith, lay hold of the truth that your father loves you and you find joy. You do not read his motives by what you experience. You read what you experience by his motives. This, my friends, is how we daily drink of his doses of goodness. So that every little crust of bread, every little glass of water, becomes a feast in the Holy Spirit. Every little rented room, every little dilapidated old building in which God's people assemble for worship in the Spirit, becomes a palace becomes a throne room of heaven because we have these little tokens of love. I worded it this way for the synod. Friends, you will not find joy when you sit on the beach watching the ebb and flow of life pass you by. No joy will overtake you when you plunge headlong into the tiny bit of tide he's given you. And when you immerse yourself in the full surrender of his provision and say, I will depend on him to build this church. I will depend on him to sanctify my soul. I will depend on him to give me joy. It is in our dependence, daily dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. When we dream beyond that, we rob ourselves of joy. But when we daily lay down our lives and depend on the spirit, we have joy. But secondly, we see throughout the scriptures, the Spirit gives us joy predominantly through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is through His Father's presence. We come in to a proximity to God, a fellowship with a Heavenly Father that is the ultimate source of joy. In Psalm 4, we sing, He gives us more joy than grain and new wine. Those earthly blessings that do give us joy... That daily bread that does give us joy is eclipsed by the one who gives it. He gives more joy than the daily bread and wine. Psalm 16, in his presence is the fullness of joy. Psalm 65, God comes to visit the creation. And as he drives his wagon through the fields... All of the animals and all of the creatures in Psalm 65 dress up in their finest clothing, robe themselves in color and in glory, and begin to dance and sing. Because in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. There is a joy that is greater than all these little earthly samples, all these temporary morsels, which are but to us these tiny tokens of goodness from God. Rightly so. 
But we are to see beyond them to a fuller and greater joy. A feast that is here, but a small cup is in heaven, an ever-flowing, abundant river that cannot be quenched. There is in God a completeness of joy to which we are to seek. This is why the Apostle Paul said to the Romans, the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Thessalonians, I have a joy untarnished by my experience of earthly blessings. If I have a ton of earthly blessings, I have more joy in Jesus. If I have no earthly blessings, I have joy in Jesus. Paul had a root to a heavenly, eternal joy that did not move, did not wax or wane with how he experienced it in the flesh and in this life. There is a joy greater still than that which we can taste and what we can touch and what we can see. Though all those earthly experiences are through the Spirit to be understood by us as our Father's love, yet we should understand our Father is far more. Far more greater to be obtained and to be rejoiced in. In this way, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. When He dwells within us, He turns all these earthly shadows into radiant figures of love. When He dwells within us, He turns our fellowship with the Father into a deep anchor of joy, connecting us to the life that is to come. But then, there are three thieves of joy. Three. Notice in verse 23. Against such things there is no law. You see, the law is a thief of joy. Now, if you know Psalm 119, you're confused, right? Psalm 119 makes pretty clear that the law is a lovely thing that gives us great joy. What could Paul possibly mean when he says that there is no law against joy? The answer is that he's addressing the Galatians who were misusing and abusing the law as an instrument of their self-righteous salvation. This is what Paul means. Our self-righteous ambition is the enemy of our joy. What will steal joy? Our attempt to satisfy our Heavenly Father with our obedience. Our attempt to earn His favor with our conformity to His law. Again, it is dependence on the Holy Spirit. He must give us righteousness. There is no law that will produce joy. There is no law against joy. No, it is turning to the law of love found in Christ and finding that joy blossoms in the presence of Christ's righteousness, not my self-righteousness. My friends, so many of us torture ourselves trying to make God happy, forgetting that it is only Christ who satisfies the angry God. It is only Christ who atones for these wretched sins. How we whip and beat ourselves into misery, depression, and agony, knowing full well how far short of His glory we come. The answer is not to turn to the law which can only kill. The answer is to turn to the Christ whose Spirit can dwell within us and set us free 
from such torments of the soul. My friends, we are tempted to think so often, maybe I'm speaking only for myself, that I must pay back sin with obedience. And it cannot be done. It is death and death to joy. No, there is no law against joy. Joy has this expression that is before us for an eternity, for an infinity, without change. Because the root of joy is himself infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Because the Holy Spirit is the root of joy. He brings forth the fruit of joy. My friends, turn from your self-righteous ambition. Turn from that energetic attempt to satisfy a heavenly Father with your obedience and receive the obedience of Christ. Rest on His righteousness alone. Secondly, we rob ourselves of joy by gratifying our fleshly passions and desires. See verse 24. Those who are Christ, those who are indwelt by the Spirit, have to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. In fact, Paul says we've already done it. We have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our joy is stolen from us when we seek to satisfy this flesh. How often are you in the face of temptation and find sin whispering, do this and you will be happy. Do this and you will have peace. Is it not true that we so often give in to sin because we believe it will satisfy us, it will please us, but it is never the way. It is never the way. Giving in to your lust will not gratify your flesh. It will hunger and thirst for even more. Giving in to your appetites will not be satisfying to them. Their desire will grow like a monster within you to devour you. No, the joy for which we must seek is found in self-denial. In the crucifying of the flesh. The putting off of what is earthly. The putting off of what is wicked and covetous and idolatrous. Crucifying in Christ these things. Friends. Do not seek for a moment to gratify the sinful desires of the flesh or to feed the sinful passions. Paul commands us, flee from them, forsake them, make no provision for them. There is no compromise with your flesh. It's not your friend. It will not play nice. It will devour and consume you. Now, if we are to have joy, We must crucify the flesh. Take up our cross. But thirdly, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The final thief of joy, as the old saying goes, is comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. By conceit, Paul means those comparisons in which I come out on top. I am conceited because I am better than you. We compare ourselves and I come out on top, hence my conceit. I am of more great godliness than you. I can preach better than you. We stir up these spirits of conceit, thinking I am well and well off, thinking I know better than others, thinking I should have what I want and when I want it, 
right now. But secondly, we provoke one another. That is, we actually tease, harass one another. Have you ever sat with two siblings? Have you ever been a sibling? What is so natural and instinctive that we provoke each other? Have you ever been in a long car ride? We're about to do this. Where the sibling sits in close proximity to one another and it doesn't resemble Psalm 133 at all? He's touching me. He's looking at me. He's close to me. He's breathing my oxygen. We provoke one another. If you put two sinners together, they sin against each other. If you put them in close proximity, they sin more. And we provoke one another. Thirdly, we envy one another. We long for what the other has. This is the comparison in which I come out on bottom. In which someone else is superior to me. We're walking through life, stacking up our heads and our shoulders, wondering who's taller, who's better, who has what. Keep up with the Jones. No, let's pass them all together and leave them in the dust. But Paul says this has no root for joy. Joy is found in selflessness. Joy is found in service to others because this is the spirit of Christ. Christ who laid down his life for others. Who did not come in the world conceited. Promoting his will and desire. But rather crucifying his very life for the well-being of others. This is the model that Paul is urging for one another. That Paul on the one hand in Galatians would say. Leave off the law of Moses. You are free in Christ. And yet on the other hand would say so clearly to the Corinthians, if they're afraid to eat meat sacrificed to idols, I won't eat meat for the rest of my life. I will go far above and beyond what my brothers and sisters desire. Far from provoking them or envying them or setting my conceited heart against them, I will embrace the joy that is found in the godly one, Psalm 16, by self-sacrificing service to others. Deep love of others. There was a moment in which joy seemed so far away. A foreign thing that didn't make it through customs. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt the weight of darkness so deep and so broad there seemed to be no horizon? In Nehemiah chapter 8, the people of God have come back from exile. And they have read the law. And in the presence of its condemnation, they are overwhelmed by the darkness of their hearts, the depravity of their souls, the feebleness of their efforts. And they begin to weep. Have you wept? Have you wept for your sin? Have you wept for the sins of others? Have you wept for the sorrows of this world, the sorrows of your heart, the sorrows of your loved ones? There is so much to weep for. You do not have to look long or hard to discover constant sources of weeping. And yet the Levites have an answer. 
They go throughout the crowd on that day in Nehemiah 8. And they look at one another and they say, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And some of you may remember from visitation four years ago. We are so tempted to misunderstand that phrase. Ah, the joy of the Lord. When I'm joyful in Jesus, I'm strong. That's not what it says. It says the joy of the Lord, that is the Lord's joy in you. We do not build joy. We do not find joy. We are given joy. We are given joy just as we are given the righteousness of Christ. We are given joy just as we have been given a crucifixion of our fleshly passions and desires. We are given joy just as we are given a self-sacrificing service to others. We are given joy because it comes from the Spirit who takes root in our hearts and brings up this abundant fruit we call joy. And my friends, that's why in the most joyless times of life, those who have the Spirit have joy. Their joy is not rooted in what they feel, though their joy is a feeling. Their joy is rooted in their fellowship with the Father and their taste of His goodness. It is Jesus' Spirit who gives you joy. So let's rejoice. You have, this day, the first opportunity to do so. There are two things I want you to do today in order to rejoice. You remember that joy is an expression, right? It's it's visibly demonstrated and it's audibly heard. Joy is an emotion that is expressed. Rejoice by partaking of the supper in faith. Rejoice by singing praise to God in Psalm 84. Friends, Jesus' spirit gives you joy. Let's rejoice together. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day, for the brightness of the sun. We thank you, Father, for this beautiful day and the radiant glory of your Son. We thank you that he has given us his own spirit, and that in him we are saved to the uttermost, that in him we are rooted in the fellowship of you, our Savior, you, our Father. We give you thanks that this Spirit who dwells within us brings joy up and out from us. Forgive us that we have resisted the work of the Spirit. Forgive us that we have sought to quench the Spirit and that we have not brought forth that fullness of joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. Oh God, give us a humility to lay down our lives And to embrace the spirit of joy. That this fruit might grow up within us. Keeping with repentance. And O God give us grace now. That in sweet joy. We might come to your table. Feast upon our Christ. And by faith receive him and his love. We pray O God that you would remember us for good. That this week we would see the fruit of joy. Growing up in our hearts. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.